All right. Well, listen, we're going to start a new book tonight, and it just happens to be an exceptional book. And I know I say that about all books, but this is different. Different because it, it explains so much when it was written way before anything happened. Uh, we couldn't understand the book of Revelation without it. Now, how important is that? So, <clears throat> let's pray. And then I'm going to read uh, uh, what Pastor Chuck says about it. Uh, so, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we praise you, we thank you, and we love you so much. For everything you do for us, for your presence, for your love, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, uh, for your protection, for your healing, I mean, I could just go on forever with that. But we love you and we praise you. And, and we ask, we commit this whole series on Daniel to you. In your presence, we ask that you would open up your word here and, and reveal the truth to us and, and show us the truth. And when we get into some difficult things and computations and math, if you will, in 7 and eight and nine and things, we ask for your help. The Holy Spirit would come. We ask for the Holy Spirit to be here all the time, as he is. But, Father, we just pray for your active participation, and we give you the praise, the glory, and the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, and this is Pastor Chuck's uh, commentary. He says, The book of Daniel is one of, my most, uh, one of the most exciting books in the Bible. See, he thinks so, too. And one of my personal favorites, ha-ha. Daniel was an amazing man of God who lived an exemplary life. Taken into captivity as a young man around 605 B.C., he served in Babylon's government during Israel's 70 years of captivity. 70 years in, in Babylon, you know. Working closely with Nebuchadnezzar, who was a, you know, you looked wrong at him and your head was off. I mean, a powerful man. We've just read about him, what he, what he, he did to, uh, you know, Israel and, and uh, Judah. And, and we read about that for months in, in the previous books. Ezekiel, for example. Uh, <clears throat> so he served in Babylon's government, and he was obviously very close with Nebuchadnezzar, and we know that later when God judged Nebuchadnezzar, and he turned him into a goat, if you will, or something of that nature, on his hands and knees eating grass, fingernails growing incredibly long, and, and hair down, you know. And, but Daniel took care of him. So there was something there. And then we think there was fruit from that relationship. We, think, we tend to believe that he was uh, uh, what we would call born again. He was saved through that experience because he was humbled. See, he was so proud. And, and you know, uh, boy, if you're proud, you've got a serious problem. And if you won't take care of it, you know who will? Yeah. He exalts himself, you know. Uh, let's, so uh, most scholars believe that Daniel wrote this book about 536 B.C. Although liberal critics, what that means, I, I, I'm not as sweet as Pastor Chuck, liberal critics means non-believers, like the Learning Channel, the things that explain how God did these things, part of the Red Sea with tomato juice, or you, you, whatever, you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there has to be a physical reason for this, because God certainly doesn't, have these powers. So they'll figure out a way. Um, 
Liberal critics then question the authorship and dating of this book because of the detailed prophecies, indeed detailed, it contains. They argue that it couldn't possibly have been written hundreds of years before some of its most precise prophecies. No way, it couldn't have been written. Well, it couldn't have been if you don't believe in God. Suggesting instead it was written at the time Antiochus Epiphany was around in 170 B.C. However, the Septuagint, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament was written before the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, and it contained the book of Daniel. Huh? Yeah, sure it did. It contained the book of Daniel. The only evidence I need for authorship, Chuck says, is the fact that Jesus quoted from it. Amen? And called Daniel the prophet in Matthew 24:15. And how can you go wrong with that? I mean, that just is as solid as you can get. You can't overestimate the importance of the book of Daniel. Uh, as he says, the book of Revelation would be almost impossible to understand without Daniel's prophecies. Jesus quoted exclusively from Daniel in the Olivet Discourse. This book not only predicted the various kingdoms as they would unfold in history, but predicted the coming of the Messiah to the very day as well as an eschatological events that will still lie in the future. As a matter of fact, they haven't come to fruition yet. They're still coming to fruition. 536 B.C.? Well, what's that? 214 plus 536? Well, that's 2,500 years, right? In addition to Daniel's prophetic revelation, we all see in the narrative and, and uh, biographical se sections how a young man is able to live in the middle of an evil society be being involved in interacting with the culture while remaining undefiled. And that was a raucous, nasty, gnarly uh, culture. Daniel stands as an example of one who refused to compromise. Boy, that's a big word. You know, we had a teaching last night that uh, I had to give over the pulpit. It was, it was truly extraordinary. And guess what it was about? Something that's kind of relevant to us. It's about self-denial, denying self. How are you doing with that, incidentally? I know the Mormons are struggling, huh? but they have to be perfect. We don't. Um, now, that wasn't a shot. That was straight up. <laughs> he refused to compromise, and the result was blessed and promoted by the Lord, earning the respect and appreciation of those around him. <clears throat> what I want to do now, this prophecy was predicted a hundred years before in Isaiah, and I want you to go with me there, and I want us to read it together so you know where it is. Put your fingers on it, your eyes on it, and do it. It's Isaiah 39.1. Isaiah 39.1. It's about the middle of your Bible. If you close your Bible, open it in the middle, you should be about in Isaiah. Give you a few to get there. Meanwhile, I'll hydrate a little. Incidentally, you guys be praying for rain tonight, not snow, rain. Personal inside joke. No, my brother planted 
barley or something in his backyard. I won't tell. I'll make him I'll make him talk on his own later. <laughs> You ready? Are you at 39? Let's let's actually back up to let's go to verse 5 to start. 39, Isaiah 39 verse 5. Okay. Ready? Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, "Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, pay attention, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, father, if you will, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Book of Isaiah, hundred years before. All right, let's get now to chapter 1. <clears throat> and then uh, we start a new book, you know, Sunday too, Hebrews. <clears throat> and that is, I won't say it because you guys will just make fun of me. No, it's not very good. <laughs> It is. <laughs> Daniel 1, 1, 1 and 2 actually. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. Well, the first two verses of the book of Daniel state, and I, I'm going to give you probably more information here than some of you want, maybe not enough for others, I don't know. The first two verses of the book of Daniel state when and how the prophet was taken to Babylon. The events in the book began in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. The year was 605 B.C. Daniel referred to Nebuchadnezzar, whose name means Nabu has protected my inheritance. Probably a Babylonian god. As king of Babylon, uh, well, that's an add-on after the parenthesis. Dan referred to Nebuchadnezzar, leave out the parenthesis, as king of Babylon. At that time, 605, Nabopolassar was king in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar had not yet acceded to the throne. However, Nebuchadnezzar, while in battle, heard of the death of his father and hastened to Babylon to be enthroned. Okay. Writing at a later date, Daniel referred to Nebuchadnezzar as king in anticipation of his occupation of the throne. They knew it, in other words. He knew. I mean, that, you know, like we have no who, idea who will... Uh, be on the throne in the United States next year. Yes. So we're actually having a coronation. No. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's besieging of Jerusalem took place during the reign of Jehoiakim, the 17th king of Judah, 17th king of Judah, the eldest son of Josiah. 
Jehoiakim's younger brother Jehoiaz had been placed on Judah's throne after Pharaoh Necho, remember him, we've talked about him before, killed King Josiah in 609 B.C., four years earlier. Uh, but Necho dethroned Jehoiaz and placed Jehoiakim on the throne. Uh, and we throw these words around pretty fast and it's confusing, but if you could... Uh, if we could visualize this somehow or see it in a book or a timeline, I, I love timelines. I can't produce them, but I still love them. Uh, it would help you a lot, believe me. Jeremiah had warned Jehoiakim of, impending in, of the impending invasion of Babylon. And Jehoiakim had heard of the prophet's instructions to God's people to submit to Babylon without resistance. Uh-huh. So when Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city, little or no resistance was offered. And Jehoiakim was captured and taken to Babylon. Thus Judah came under Nebuchadnezzar's authority. With this incursion by Nebuchadnezzar, an important prophetic time period, the time of the Gentiles. And I've done other teachings on this, and, and I, uh, I have in, in my computer when I look, I have uh, 1 John 1 and 2 and 3, depending on how many times I've taught it. Uh, this is Daniel, uh, and I've done Daniel before. But I wanted to give you more information tonight. But when I come to this time, the time of the Gentiles, in my first teaching on it, I taught more about that. It's very relevant here. Uh, so let me pick up and, and go over it again. The times of the Gentiles is that extended period of time in which the land given in covenant by God to Abraham <clears throat> and his descendants is occupied by Gentile powers and the Davidic throne is empty of any rightful heir in the Davidic line. The times of the Gentiles, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar's invasion of Israel in 605 B.C., will continue until the Messiah returns. That's why it's so relevant. Then Christ will subdue nations, deliver the land of Israel from its Gentile occupants, <clears throat> and bring the nation Israel into her covenant blessings in the millennial kingdom. And of course, that's the, the, the fruit of that. That's where it ends up, the millennial kingdom. God had made a covenant with Israel in Moab uh, in Deuteronomy 28-30. through 30, Awesome book, awesome chapters. Just before she entered the land, Deuteronomy 29.1. In this covenant, God set forth the principle by which he would deal with his people. Their obedience to him would bring blessing. But disobedience to him would bring discipline, of course. Deuteronomy 28, 15, 68, God just so clearly said, If you guys do this, I'll do this. I'll bless your socks off. I'll just give you everything. I'll take care of you. But if you don't do this and you do this, this is what I'm going to do to you. And that's what we're talking about right at this moment. In the second portion, God outlined the d- disciplines he would use to correct the people when their walk was out of line with his revealed law. These disciples would seek to conform them to his demands so they would be eligible for his blessing. The ultimate discipline he would use to correct his people was the invasion of Gentile nations who would subjugate them to their authority and disperse them from their land. Deuteronomy 28:49 through 68 and these things that are happening now to the United States of America in the end times are for a reason, and God is allowing them. Please believe me. 
And he knew the day and the hour and the minute and the second that Scalia would die. Because he knows everything and he's uh, the great orchestra leader, if you will. You know what I mean? Moses then stated that Israel would come under God's discipline. The discipline would not be lifted until the people forsook their sin, turned in faith to God, and obeyed his requirements. Boy, and, we, and, and that teaching last night was so relevant. I mean, and when you go through the scripture we had, and, and, and he really did a wonderful job. The scripture, I mean, my my personal beef was we couldn't spend enough time on it. And I understand more than anybody in this room needing to march through something. Uh, you know, what, it took me eight years to go through the New Testament? I understand having to march through stuff. But man, I'd like to just take that stuff apart and just talk about it, wouldn't you? Come next week, we'll see what happens. We can, you don't know, it could happen, right? No pressure. He's smiling. The northern kingdom of Israel had gone into captivity to Assyria in 722 B.C. This was the outworking of the principles of Deuteronomy 28. From time to time, though not always or consistently, the southern kingdom Judah, in light of the fall of the northern kingdom, had heeded the prophet's admonitions and turned to God. The southern kingdom continued for more than a century longer because of her repentance and obedience under her godly kings. That condition, however, did not last. Judah also ignored God's covenant, neglected the Sabbath day and the sabbatical year. They neglected them and went into idolatry. That's supported in Jeremiah 34 and Jeremiah 7, 30, 31. Therefore, because of the covenant in Deuteronomy 28, judgment had to fall on Judah. God chose Nebuchadnezzar as the instrument to inflict discipline on God's disobedient people. And he used him mightily, didn't he? But then later he humbled him mightily, didn't he? Boy, you can start drinking your own bathwater and, you know, you just are so wonderful. And it shows. And we hate to see it. I mean, you've seen Christians that are pumped to the max and, and just, you know puffed up. We hate to see it because uh, we love the brothers and sisters. I didn't mean just brothers. But normally it's brothers. 2B and 3. I've divided 2 into two parts if you're totally confused. Now, now really get confused because I just told you that after the fact. So now I'm going to be do 2B, the second half of B. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aspen as the master of his eunuchs, a lot of eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. When Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon from this invasion of Judah, he brought spoils, of course, to signify Judah's submission to Babylon. First, he brought some valuable articles from the temple in Jerusalem, which he placed in the temple of his God in Babylonia. His God, the Babylonian God. Second Chronicles 36.7 Now his God may have been Bel, also called Marduk. I think Johnny Carson picked up a few of those names on his show. But they didn't know what they meant, you know. Uh, the chief God of the Babylonians, Marduk. 
In Hebrews, the word rendered, rendered Babylonia is Shinar. So when we started that first verse, Shinar, that's Babylonia or Babylon. An ancient name for the land, and it's in Genesis and Isaiah and Zechariah. And of course, it's very relevant to us now because we're talking about Babylon and the end time study in um, uh, Friday night in the end times chronology. And I think we did it last week, a week before. Where was it? Where did it take place? Are they going to rebuild it literally again after Saddam Hussein fooled with it? Are they going to open it up so much that sea-going vessels can get in and around it? That would cost trillions of dollars and time. And, and time is of the essence at this point to me. As I look at all this stuff, we just don't have a great deal of time to do all these things. We certainly have time, and it's under God's control, and He'll take care of it. But that, that's a major uh, consideration to me, anyway. So let me go back here. Shinar, an ancient name for the land. This would signify the conquest of the God of Judah by the Babylonian deities. Uh, small, small d, small g. Deities, of course, is not capitalized, but if it would be, it wouldn't be. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the, they aren't real gods. Second, Nebuchadnezzar brought with him some of the Israelites, Jews from the royal family and the nobility. As stated in the introduction, these royal princes may have been considered hostages, and they may well have been, to help assure Judah's continued submission to Babylon. Or they may have been taken to Babylon to prepare them to fulfill positions of administrative leadership. He wanted these bright, young, capable Jewish kids. Uh, and so he might have wanted them in his leadership and his administration. Uh, if Nebuchadnezzar should have to return to subjugate Judah. Asphanaz uh, was chief of the court officials. He's mentioned by name only here in the Old Testament, but it's called the official or the chief official six times in Daniel. It's not clear whether the word for official, which is Cyrus, <clears throat> means a eunuch or simply a courtier or court officer. But some noted theologians suggest it meant eunuch in Daniel's time. So I'm not guaranteeing that or taking it to the bank or... But some pretty sharp guys say in that particular period of time in the history of the world, it meant eunuchs. So I'm comfortable with that. Let's read verses 4 and 5. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. More on that later. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so at the end of the time they might serve before the king. All right? These castes were the cream of the crop of young men both physically and mentally and as such they could be an asset to the king's palace. Right? An attempt was made to assimilate them into the culture of the court for they were compelled to learn both the language and the literature of the people among whom they now dwelt. Something, well, I won't say that. They were to undergo a rigorous three-year course of training after which they were to enter the king's service. That educational pro program probably included a study of agriculture, architecture, 
astrology, no doubt, astronomy, law, mathematics, and the difficult or very difficult Akkadian language, the language of the Chaldeans. Very difficult. Why, I don't know, because they don't speak it, nor read it, nor is it. But it was very difficult to learn, evidently. Verse 6. Now, from among those the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name, not Belshazzar, but Belteshazzar. And wait till you hear the Akkadian pronunciation of that. Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. You know those names, don't you? No mention was made of how many captives were taken, but four are mentioned here by name because of their later significant role in Babylon. Because all four bore names that honored Yahweh, the God of Israel, their names were changed. Couldn't have that. El means God and Ia or Yah is an abbreviation for Yahweh. Thus suggesting that the young men's parents were God-fearing people who gave them names that included references to God, which would be normal for the Jews. Daniel, whose name means God has judged or God is my judge, was the given the name Belteshazzar. Bilet Saru Ur. Bilet Saru Ur in Akkadian. I don't make this stuff up, nor do I write it down randomly, phonetically. This is the copy, which means, you ready for this? Lady, protect the king. I don't know. Don't ask me. Lady, protect the king. Eight of the times Belshazzar occurred in the Old Testament are in the Aramaic section of the book of Daniel. The other two occurrences are in one seven and ten one. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. <coughs> Became Shadrach probably from the Akkadian verb form Sedur Eku, meaning I am fearful of a God. Mishael, who is what God is, was given the name Meshach, which probably was from the Akkadian verb Meseku, meaning I am despised, contemptible, humbled, before my God. Azariah, Yahweh has helped, was named Abednego, servant of Nebo. Uh, Nebo being a Hebrew variation of the Babylonian name of the god Nebo. Nebo, son of Bel, was the Babylonian god of writing and vegetation. It's hard not to touch that. The God of writing, writing and vegetation. Strange times. He was also known as Nabu. And you know where they get these names in these African movies 50 years ago and Jungle Bob and Tarzan and these things. That's where you get these names. Because everything comes out of the Bible, right? Okay. Yeah, I love it. Don't get me started. Who was it? Um, uh, they used it. Maru, Misha Maru, or what was it? Yeah, Kobayashi Maru. These guys uh, from Utah, 
Eric and, and Bill, they use those terms. And now, Estes is pretty good on that. Tony's very good on it. John probably is. He's somewhat of an intellectual. Nobody else, huh? You're too young to even get in the conversation. You're a new guy. He shaved. Uh, it, it does change your personality indeed, doesn't it? All right, let's see. The court official, Aspenaz, seemed determined to obliterate any testimony to the God of Israel from the Babylonian court. And that makes sense. The names he gave the four men signified that they were to be subject to Babylon's gods. And you understand how important that would be to him. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. Verse 8, But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, some of you people might tend to gravitate to you know, there's a lot of people support a vegetarian lifestyle through this particular scripture. But I don't think it's the carrots that made him look so good. I think it was the Holy Spirit. What do you think? Now, carrots are good. I haven't had any recently, but... <laughs> Somebody did make me some soup recently. They put a lot of green beans in it. I had it the week before, and I made the mistake of telling the woman this is the best soup I ever had in my life because it was hot. She had some heat in it. And I asked her, what heat is in here? And she couldn't answer. So I think one of her relatives made it. She passed it on to me when I was over at their house. And, and then she made soup. But she ruined it. It wasn't hot. She didn't put, she put too many vegetables in it. All these green beans, I mean... It wasn't funny. You're exactly right. You're, you're back in the fold again. All right. It wasn't you, no. But there was cabbage in it in the first. There was a lot of cabbage in it and a very little hamburger and a lot of heat. And I really liked it. Okay, enough. I don't know how I get on these. Huh? I don't know. I think hamburger. It might have been some. Is there? Yeah. Why don't you make it? We'll try it. Please. <laughs> if I buy this. Elsie's just going. Okay, forgive me. I apologize. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Okay, but there was no heat in that soup. This was pretty hot. This was, this was really good. All right, I need to shut up and get back in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not define himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. This guy was a rock-solid man. I mean, the average skid in 2015 would love the king's delicacies. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar had made an abundant provision for the captains. There was a life of luxury, luxury not deprivation. They were given a portion of food and wine daily. And I'm going to explain the wine here in a little bit. From the king's own table. However, the food did not conform to the requirements of the Mosaic law. So Daniel had a problem with it. 
In fact, it was prepared by Gentiles, which first of all rendered it unclean. Also, no doubt, many things forbidden by the law were served on the king's table, so to partake of such food would defile the Jewish young men, if, if you will. Further, without doubt, this royal food had been sacrificed and offered to pagan gods before it was offered to the king. Didn't bother him at all. To partake of such food, food would be contrary to Exodus 34, where the Jews were forbidden to eat flesh sacrificed to pagan gods. Similar problems would arise in drinking the wine. To abstain from the Old Testament prohibition against prohibition against strong drink. Uh, for example, Proverbs 20 in the King James and Isaiah 5:11 called drinks. Jews customarily, and you know this because I've told you this before, Jews customarily diluted wine with water. Normally, three parts of water to wine. Some regions or people six parts to one part, and some as many as ten parts to one. They put water in uh, the wine because the wine was like syrupy. That's how they preserved it. Uh, the Babylonians did not dilute their wine at all. Can you imagine what those dinners were like every night? So both the food and the drink would have defiled these Jewish young men. Daniel knew the requirements of the law governing what he should and should not eat and drink. He knew well. Daniel's desire was to please God in all that he did. Let's just stop there. Daniel's desire, the desire of his heart, his motivation, his motor, what he did, was to please God in all he did. Do you pray that you could say that? Don't you? So he resolved that even though he was not in his own land, but in a culture that did not follow God's laws, he'd consider himself under the law. He therefore asked the chief court official to be excused from eating and drinking the food and wine generously supplied by the king. Daniel, that took some chutzpah, some guts. That's not Italian sausage. Chutzpah. Daniel was courageous, very courageous. That took guts because conceivably he could have been put to death for even asking. Do you guys understand that? 9 and 10. And now, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So he could have his head chopped off too. Because his job was to see that these young guys were fit and healthy, looked good, everything worked, the brain worked. And the chief official's reticence to grant Daniel's request is understandable. Yeah. He was responsible to oversee the young captives' physical and mental development so they would become prepared for the roles the king had in mind for them. Evidently, these Jews held a strategic place in the king's plan, so he wanted them well-trained. If the men had been of little consequence to the king, their physical condition would not have mattered, <clears throat> and Aspenaz would not have risked the loss of his life. Daniel entrusted the situation to God. There's the key. Who intervened on Daniel's behalf to move the official's heart to show favor and goodwill to Daniel. 11, 12, 13, 14. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
vegetables and water. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Then let our appearance be examined before you in the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he considered with them in this matter and tested them ten days. When Daniel requested him to have been denied by the chief official, Daniel approached the guard that Aspenaz placed over the four youths and requested a ten-day trial period in which Daniel and his companions would be only given only vegetables and water. <clears throat> and the guy that they talked to, he talked to, <clears throat> probably had like the big one. Just from that conversation, I mean, because we're talking life and death in this court of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, the Hebrew word for vegetables. You all want to know what it is, the Hebrew word for vegetables? I bet you're yearning for that word. I took it out. Meaning sown things. S-O-W-N. Not so like with a needle and thread. Sown in the ground. Like one of the brothers here has been planting barley or some, some grain. It may also include grains. Since the Mosaic Law designated no vegetables as unclean. There you go. You that love veggies, no vegetables unclean. Daniel could eat any vegetable book for him without defiling himself. And he could eat all that he wanted. Is that you, young man? Wait, there, there is an asterisk here. Let me... Maybe. If they had garlic and bacon, but they couldn't eat pigs, could they? Dang. Because turkey jerky is... Or turkeys. Right? Don't you think? I, I, I asked y'all to get me some, um, what are the Jimmy Dean, uh, like egg McMuffins? And they were like 500 calories, so that ruled that out immediately. So uh, she got me uh, some turkey sausage. Mm. <laughs> Pepper. Okay, I will. I will. In so short a time, ten days, there could have been no marked deterioration that would jeopardize the life of anyone in authority. In fact, Daniel hinted that their appearance would be better than that of the others who were on the king's diet. Since the guard was under the chief official's authority, he must have acted not on his own, but he probably got permission from Asphanas, don't you think? This indicates that Jehovah God intervened. I'm sure the carrots were wonderful and the Brussels sprouts and everything, that, and the green beans and everything, <clears throat> and the water, even though it wasn't filtered. probably had a few diseases in it, but it's God that did this. God made those faces shine and look good and, and have the skin firm and taut and everything and having those brains working. Don't you think? It was his will. That's why it happened. All right. Now we are all in agreement on that. Let's read 15 and 16. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh. Now, how you're gaining weight from carrots is beyond me. <laughs> okay. Fatter in the flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies 
and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So they, they were serving their Lord properly. They didn't compromise. It was, it was all good in that respect. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't know the difference, I imagine. At the conclusion of the ten days, the four who had lived on vegetables appeared healthier than those who had dined on the king's food. Since the four looked better and not worse than the others, this Aspenaz had feared he didn't object to uh, Daniel pursuing that diet. Though God did not prohibit eating meat altogether, <clears throat> this is where the, the vegetarians just revel and stand up and do a little dance for <clears throat> Genesis 9:3, Romans 14:14, 14, 14, 1 Corinthians 10:25:26. The vegetable diet was superior to the king's food. Also, this shows that God blesses those who obey His commands and prospers those who trust Him. Does He not? This incident would have been a lesson for the nation of Israel. God had demanded obedience to the law. Punishment came because of disobedience, but even during a time of dis discipline, God protects and sustains those who obey Him and trust Him for their sustenance. He's Jehovah Jireh. Indeed He is, and I've seen guys on trial that their clothes didn't wear on. And they had a roof over their head, and they may not have had money to buy food, but they ate food every day. He somehow supernaturally provided the food. A wholesome food. As for the four young men, verse 17, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And that was really an important part of his, uh, you know, life, lifestyle moving forward. So, uh, these four men being prepared by Nebuchadnezzar for positions of responsibility, big responsibility in the royal court, were actually being prepared by God. Agreed? For God gave them knowledge and understanding in many realms. Knowledge has to do with reasoning skills and thought processes. They were able to think clearly and logically. And the same thing comes to us. Who provides it to us? Or were you just naturally born a genius? I mean, everything we have, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of, anything is being from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God, is it not? I mean, if you can open a car hood and get in there and do anything, or you can open a medicine cabinet, or you can do any of those things, or put a band in, you know, God is enabling you to do that. They're able to think clearly and logically. Understanding has to do with insight. This points up their ability to discern the nature of things clearly and to interpret them in their true light. The literature and learning in which God gave them ability was broad. By divine enablement and through his years of instruction under able teachers, Daniel gained a wide knowledge of arts and sciences. He was well educated. Though the knowledge of others in Babylonian those subjects may have equaled that of Daniel, he was superior to them all in one area. He had the God-given ability to understand visions and dreams. People have always been curious about the future and have sought to predict coming events. For example, after Israel entered the land of Canaan, they encountered many who attempted to prognosticate the future by various means. But Israel was forbidden to follow any of these practices which were also prevalent in Babylon, although Saul did. At one point in time, he went and consulted, remember? Scared her to death, too. The woman. 18, 19, 20, 21. Now at the end of the days when the kings had said they should be brought in, in, 
the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. Okay? And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first king, first year of King Cyrus. At the end of the time set by the king, in other words, at the end of the three-year training, king examined the guys. Daniel and his three buds uh, stood head and shoulders above, above the rest. As a matter of fact, they were ten times better, right? Uh, then all who practiced the arts of divination. We were talking about the Magi recently. I, I don't remember when it was, but in the last time just runs together. But in the last week or two, I, somewhere I was studying that or talking about that with somebody somewhere. I don't remember. Magicians and enchanters. Uh, ten times is an idiot. Sorry. Idiom meaning many times. So it could have been more than ten, actually. The king consulted magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, wise men, and diviners. Magicians. Uh, magicians was a general word referring to men who practiced the occult. And it was the occult. The words used in Genesis and Exodus and uh, quite a few places. Enchanters. The word enchanters may refer to those who used incantations. Incantations in exorcism. The word sorcerers probably is from the Akkadian verb kasapu, K-S-A-P-U with a long A. To bewitch, to cast a spell, this participle noun rendered sorcerers used only here in Daniel occurs only four other times in the Old Testament. Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Malachi. Astrologers seem to refer to a priestly class in the Babylonian religion who depended on revelation through the stars which were objects of worship. Diviners, which is gazerin, may be those who sought to ascertain or de uh, decree the fate of others. Uh, the Magi and those guys, the, the three wise men, uh, maybe we're talking about it Friday at the house one night, but uh, the Magi, they were in essence uh, magicians, and they could be broken into different groups that we discussed here, but they were all of the occult. But when God revealed to them that a child would be born and showed them the star, that was a supernatural event. And they responded. Now, uh, God can use people that aren't saved and He can use people that are saved. And sometimes they become saved as a result of an experience. So were the wise men saved? I don't know, but it, a possibility exists, okay? That's the best I can tell you. We're almost done here. Let's see. The fact that God gave Daniel the ability to understand and interpret visions and dreams in verse 17 meant that throughout Nebuchadnezzar's long reign, he depended on Daniel for understanding future events revealed through dreams and visions. This anticipated the ministry Israel will one day fulfill. God had set Israel apart to be a kingdom of priests. That's in Exodus 19. As such, they were God's light to the world. Isaiah. They were to receive God's revelation and communicate it to nations that were ignorant of God. They were continually reminded of the role by the lampstand erected in the tabernacle. 
Daniel, during his tenure in the royal court in Babylon, fulfilled that function as God's spokesman to the Gentiles, didn't he? When Israel will enter her millennial blessing under the reign of the Messiah, she will fulfill the role for which she was set apart by God and will then communicate God's truth to the Gentiles. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Great book. Not a terribly long book. It gets hairy in some of it when we, we get into the, the math. And uh, that's just for my generation. What can I tell you? Complex, difficult. And I've, uh, at home, I went through it like 82 times. But I have some printed material that I printed at home that I'll bring to you guys that will help you figure out the equation of the days and seven years and times and times and half a time. We'll do our very best for you, all of you to understand. Even if we spend a whole night on it, I don't care. Maybe we'll do some work up on the, on the uh, board, you know. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this wonderful night and for the wonderful people you bring here. Uh, Father, we pray for blessings, traveling mercies. We pray for rain. And uh, just pray for your blessings for all of us, Lord. We love you so much. And we praise you and thank you tonight for teaching us your word, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.